Aloha, and welcome back. This is Pay Radio, talk radio worth listening to. In this episode, you will learn more about how we are expanding our sense of worth on multiple levels. Enjoy the show. On this show, I'm rebroadcasting an interview Shep Cohen, the host of the World of Work on WDBR-FM in New Jersey, 89.7 and 91.9, interviewed me on Maybe What I'm Worth. The following show is a rebroadcast of that interview. Enjoy! And this is the World of Work, and I'm your host, Shep Cohen. Are you paid what you're worth? Yes? No? Maybe? Where do you start to answer this question? How do you define worth? Is it money, power, property, reputation, or is it something else? Our guest today is Soul Dancer. Yes, that's his actual legal name. And he's thought a lot about what he's worth and what you're worth and what people are worth. He's the author of Pay Me What I'm Worth, which helps answer the central question, what am I worth? It's a book full of common sense suggestions, unique exercises, and a great deal of wisdom. Soul Dancer says that if you read his book, you'll discover the secret of giving and receiving more each and every day. Soul Dancer, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the world of work. And a gracious aloha, Chef. Thank you, and thank you to WDBR for allowing me to share your airwaves. It's, it's great. I'm really happy. I'm looking forward to it. I enjoyed reading your book, and we're going to talk a lot about that and a lot about what you do. Uh, I know before you were working with people, helping them to refocus their lives and awakening their inner wisdom, um, you did something else. Uh, what, what was it that made you change uh, your focus of your career? Well, that's an intriguing question. For years, I was a business consultant that was the hired acts. The prima donna that they didn't know how to get rid of, well, I either came in and transformed them to be someone who people adored and everything started working again, or it's been fun. And the consistent thing that I found in my work was when you lose your confidence, or if that confidence is broken, like trust is broken, it's a hard road to get that confidence back. And that's really the foundation of what I work with within this book. And at some point you decided that you had enough of uh, being consulted and you wanted to move in a different direction. Was there something that led you in this direction uh, or or a certain incident or was it uh, kind of an evolution? What was it? I I began to realize that the systemic nature of office politics, how awful it's becoming, To work with one person one-on-one or one person and a group of people within a company limited my ability to reach out and address this issue of confidence and office politics. It was limited, and I thought, well, wait a minute. What happens if I blow this up, put it in a book format, and a doctor who specializes in research, if their research is successful, that one doctor could literally, quote-unquote, treat thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, all by that one act of research. One physical doctor, it would be impossible for one physical doctor to physically, personally treat thousands of people all at once. 
So that was my tipping point. I realized I needed to break out of the one-on-one and get into the group because back in 2003, when I was really in the mix of things, the level of office politics that I was seeing over and over and over again was, was scary. Now, you not only changed the focus of your career, but you lost a lot of weight. Tell us about some of those things. Well, the retirement of 125 pounds came when the doctor told me, you got a choice. You can go ahead and keep on doing what you're doing and probably follow your family's footsteps and be dead by 40, or you can deal with it. And I had a really hard look in the mirror, and I realized at the age of 32, I had a few more years ahead of me. It was only my arrogance, my absolute arrogance with how I was treating myself with my health, just eating poorly and not caring about it. I realized that's just arrogance that had to go. So I started dropping the weight there. You lost 125 pounds. It took you two years to do that, and you've kept it off all these years? All these years, and I use a program that I just adore. I haven't lost it, Jeff. I retired it, and that's some of the coaching I do with the folks who want to retire weight. Okay. As you know, as a lawyer, words mean a lot of things, right? So you've retired so the I weight. Lose it. I lose it. I'll find it. Okay, so you retired. It's not part of you anymore. Exactly. In your work, and personally, you've done an awful lot of traveling over the years. Why do you do the traveling? Keep it real. Keep it real. I'm technically considered a monk in three orders and a spiritual advisor in many different traditions, and I do it because I want first-hand experience. I want to be in the neighborhoods, in the cultures that... I'm hearing about on the news. I want first-hand information. And it cuts both ways because when I travel, people will ask me, well, my God, you know, we're hearing this on the TV and the radio about, you know, X, Y, Z. Is that really true? And it's like, well, I don't know in my situation that it's true. Let me tell you what's going on in my world, and you can balance that with however you want to. So traveling to me has always been a reality check, and it's that difference between having knowledge and wisdom. Now, you said that exploring is more fun than, than debating and analyzing. Uh, why is that? Tell us about the focus on exploring, and I guess that's part of the travel. You got it. Everybody listening, if you ever watch kids, especially young kids, they explore. There's no destination in mind, 9 out of 10, when they're playing. They're exploring. And... What I have found, Chef, when I'm exploring is I'm more in the moment. I'm really being more mindful of what's happening to me right now as I explore. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's no in or out. I'm just exploring. And when analyzing, one of the most difficult things I find in my study groups is people start getting into these analytical modes, and it just feeds the ego. It feeds the perfectionist. It feeds the critic. And now I realize that there's nobody in Jersey that has a critic, and I realize there's nobody in Jersey that's got a perfectionist thing going on. So I don't know if that applies. No, it doesn't happen here at all. <laughs> We're all free souls. Uh, the journey is a significant thing to us. Why is the journey so significant, part of exploring? One of the most fascinating things I've found as people really get into this work, I always start out our study groups and I remind everyone that my book is a journey to find yourself, not fix yourself. And in our current culture, we seem to be so fixed on fixing, 
what's wrong? What do you got too much of? What do you got not enough of? To me, when you're stuck on fixing something, you're focused on one thing. And it can be like the carrot on the stick. And I've seen too many people criticize themselves that perfectionists that need to have that level of perfection. And they never, ever get there. And then that becomes the excuse to not getting it done. When I tap into exploring energy, we tap into what I call brainstorming. It's like creating that menu of options that you can now choose from. I don't know about you, but if I go into a restaurant, I like a menu with a lot of options. What about you? I do. I do also, yes. I think it's more interesting that way. You get more opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. So exploring in a, in a very creative way, in all of my workshops, I do mind mapping and brainstorming constantly. And what is brainstorming? What does that mean? What is brainstorming? It's just a way of putting on paper all that noise that's going on in your head. And again, I realize most people listening in, they're all then all perfect quiet in their minds. There's never a moment where there's just too much chaos going on in their minds. <laughs> Not here in New Jersey. I was just there this past April that it was so zen. <laughs> so brainstorming is like, okay, I'm running into a problem. All right, what's the problem? Well, the problem is I'm not getting enough sleep. Well, why am I not getting enough sleep? And then we start on a sheet of paper. What's contributing to your inability to get enough sleep? You just start listing everything. The, the magic around brainstorming is everything counts. Everything, no matter how silly, how stupid, how ridiculous, whatever your critic wants to shout in there, cut it out. Put it on the piece of paper because it will popcorn. It will jar your memory to think of something else which may stick to something else. And all of a sudden, boom, you've got this long list of what's causing you to lack sleep. And then you can begin to remedy it based on what you find. And what you're saying is that you're, you're finding out why you don't have sleep enough sleep as opposed to that there's a problem not having enough sleep. Correct. Okay. So it's a very positive approach rather than a negative, a doubting approach. Exactly. And you're in the driver's seat. You have the steering wheel in your hands at all times. It is up to you to decide where you're going to turn, if you're going to turn, what you're going to find, what you're going to do with what you find. And is your approach letting someone discover on their own why they should go in a different direction, or do you guide them? Uh, a little bit of both. Chef, do you have any kids? Yes. As your kids were beginning to get that sense of themselves, how did you support that process? You support it in a very positive way, but you have to give them guidance also. So give them guidance in a way that they don't recognize you're giving them guidance. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's a fine line, isn't it? Yes, it is. I was talking to someone the other day that, a physician, and he said, my patients all listen to me, every word I say, and hopefully they understand what I'm saying. My children, anything I say, they don't <laughs> It's like in one ear out the other ear. Because I'm daddy, I'm not, I'm not the doctor. Yep, yep, exactly. I'm actually writing another book as we speak called Nonprofit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, looking at the role of what is a profit? You know, what's that all about? And how many times 
Do we discount another person's wisdom because we know them so well? Have you ever had a friendship in your life, you've known them for years, and you've told them the same thing over and over and over? And then you're at some sort of gathering, and an absolute complete stranger comes up to you, and you're this same friend, and you guys get in a conversation, or you gals, and, and this complete stranger tells your friend almost word for word what you've been telling them for, for, for like ever, and your friend goes, oh my God, you know, you see the light bulb turn on. Have you, has that ever happened to you? That has happened, absolutely. It, it has happened, but... Because yeah. someone else from a different perspective, they accept it, but they don't accept it from you. Exactly. You know, and yeah, your friend thinks that the stranger walks on water, and you're like, what? I'm telling you about. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, shit. Hello? The goal of this work that I'm doing, waking up your worth, is really tap into a fine balance between those who have really known you, they've known you possibly all your life, with complete strangers who have that gift of perspective, that's clean. They don't know you. They don't know the sacred cows they're not supposed to kill. They're, they don't know you're touchy about certain things. And they can say things in a way that will open up your eyes to your sense of worth that will blow you away. You've used the word worth a few times during this, our interview so far. What does that mean, or does it have a lot of different meanings? It has a lot of different meanings. And, and, and I invite you and everybody listening to just play this little game with me. I want you think about the concept of worth when it comes into the, the notion of confidence. So, Chef, and for everybody listening, and Chef, you don't need to give me this person's name, I, I'd like you to just think in your mind what comes to mind instantly when you hear the word confidence. I mean, what picture comes to mind when you hear the word confidence? A, a face. Get that face in your mind. Is there a poster child? Uh, when you hear the word confidence, immediately somebody face comes to mind. So let me know when you have that image in your Okay, mind. I have that image. Okay. Now, would you ever cheat that person? Cheat that person? Cheat them. No. Lie to them? No. Try to use them in a way that you know is just not right? No. Why not? Because that person has so much confidence that you're, you might be afraid to do it. They just wouldn't stand for that, and they'd understand that you're doing that, or you're cheating them, or you're lying to them. In other words, you wouldn't want to risk that relationship because you value that relationship. Correct. True? Correct. That is worth. Did, you, did I connect the dots there? Okay, so that's the, the relationship is worth. The relationship itself is worth. I'm sorry, but when it comes right down to it, I can't eat paper, I can't eat a deed, I can't eat bonds, I can't eat gold or silver, I can't, so far I haven't acquired the taste to eat earth, but I realize earth is needed to grow things. Relationships with each other, when it comes down to it and I need help, I have to have that solid relationship with someone. And that may be a complete stranger that I'm going to give my trust. I'm going to have a confidence that I can trust that person to help me out. So when it comes to confidence and becoming that confident person, just out of curiosity, you don't have to answer this yet, but for those listening, when I ask you to get that face in your mind of the poster child of confidence, was that face yours? Was it mine? 
mine? Well, no, it wasn't, because I was thinking of someone else as, as someone who, another person. I wasn't looking at my own face, no. Therein lies the key. My goal, my passion, is for every single person I touch, for them to naturally blossom, gently blossom into this sense of confidence about them, that when they walk into a room, when someone meets you, they're inspired by this feeling they can't quite put their name on. Now, in your role, in your profession, you you wouldn't last really long if... And people didn't have confidence in me. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. The way you build up confidence in someone is of working with them and respecting them. Your words align with your deeds. Right? What you say is what you do. Does that build confidence? Absolutely. Bingo. That's what this is about. That's chapter nine of painting what I'm worth. Ethics and integrity. Ethics and integrity. Now, I will more than thank my relationships with people before I will thank money. Because as you know, money can come and go. I have seen firsthand extraordinarily wealthy people, people who would enjoy hundreds of millions of dollars through unfortunate dominoes, they all disappeared. I've watched their social network treat them like some sort of god-awful disease. They were shunned. Well, because, based on what you're saying, these people didn't have worth beyond their financial worth, and they weren't particularly liked, and they weren't trusted, and they didn't have, you didn't have confidence in them. Uh, as, as people, you had confidence in their worth, and once they lost their worth, they had nothing left. They, you know, the emperor without clothes. They go. So, in essence, the goal of what I'm looking to reawaken with every person that goes to the book is what brings you on a journey? What brings you on a journey such that you get a rock-solid, refreshed awareness of who you are, what you have in multiple ways, how it's being used, how you forgot about it. I don't know about you, but I can't even remember some of the stuff that's up in my closet right now. <laughs> so, it's a case of really finding out that sense of confidence, and then as you have that confidence, you are able to take more risks. How did this approach to helping people, how did you develop the approach? Did it strike you one day that uh, the people lack confidence, they're self-doubters, and I have to delve in this area with them? When did you have this epiphany, if it was like call it that? I have a master's in social work, and the one thing that kind of bothered me with social work as I was doing part of my coursework in, you know, the history of social work and blah, 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 the one item that makes me a little bit cautious and wary is the draws a red flag is anytime there's a relationship that requires a dependency. In other words, if I have a program and that program is going to only going to live if I keep you at a certain level of lack or deficiency so that you keep coming back and paying the bill all the time, that's parasitic, and I, I just can't stand parasitic relationships. I like to teach you how to fish. I like to teach you how to discover who you are, allow that blossoming to be happening, and what shifted into this way of teaching is in social work, there's a strengths perspective model. Always work with someone in a way that you tap into their strengths, regardless of what those are. If there may only be one small, teeny, tiny little strength there, but let's look at that and use it to our abilities. And then as you become more aware of your strengths, 
like a rose blossoming, it just takes on a life of its own. So to answer your book is called Pay Me What I'm Worth, but pay me doesn't necessarily mean financially paying you. What does it mean? How do you define pay me? Pay and worth. Pay and worth. They have multiple meanings. Here's a very poignant example. As I was completing one of my workshops, I had the very fortunate hour at lunch with this one couple. They were in their mid-60s, and it was a moment when clear both of them were very financially well-off. There was this black cloud over the chest that I mean, didn't, something didn't match. Have you ever been in those relationships where everything on the outside should be like, you should be really happy and, and the sun should be shining, but there's this, this darkness to them? Have you ever run into those type of people? I've seen people like that. Yes, I have. Based on what I've heard from your, your experience this weekend, you have a successful life. It sounds like you've got plenty of money in the bank, you've got a family you love and adore, you, you're traveling, you've got good health, um, you seem to be philanthropic, you, I mean, everything that you say, um, it just doesn't seem like your level of joy matches what you say. And, and would you please, what's up? And the missus actually started crying. And I thought, oh my God, I really did it. I said, I'm so sorry. I, it wasn't my intention to make you cry. I just, if there's a way that I could be assertive, I, I really want to help. As she composed herself, the husband basically said, Soul, based on what we learned in your workshop, if we could rewind our lives 35 years and do it completely different, we would. And here's why. We grew up very poor. And when we got married, we vowed that we would make sure our kids never experienced poverty like we did. And so we both worked our fannies off. And by working our fannies off, we were able to afford certain conveniences like some health and so forth and so on to help raise our kids. But now that we're both retired and our children are growing out of the house, we really don't know our kids. And we want to know our kids, but our kids are so busy following the model that we set in place that they don't have time to get to know us. And we realized that, you know, we really should have taken more time getting to know our children every step of the way. All the money in the bank right now can help our children, certainly, but it's not the same thing as getting a hug. I got very good advice when my youngest son was just born. A man who said to me, whenever you can, go to all of his baseball games, go to all of the school plays, go to back-to-school night, uh, even if that means taking off from work and then working late that night. Just be an effort to be seen, and it was wonderful advice because it helps you bond with your children in a way that you can only do it once. You can only make a first impression once, and you can only bond with your children once, and I guess this is what they didn't do. And the level of sadness hurt me. It just hurt me. And, I, and it's like, yeah, I'm not going to argue the fact, Chef, that, yeah, we need money to get along in our life. But for God's sake, it's not the only thing. And I see people working endless hours of overtime for free. For those people who are on salary positions, they might get a few extra days off. They might be a bonus. But I'm sorry for every hour you're working overtime that you're not getting paid for and you're in a relationship with, 
whether you're single or coupled, you're in relationships with people, you're sacrificing that time of building that relationship. To me, pay attention to the relationships you have is job number one. To encourage people to do things other than their actual jobs, have hobbies, um, have outside interests, does that enhance their ability to perform and their happiness? Yes, and I use that as what I call a bridge. Jeff, as far as I'm concerned, with my background, I am on a mission to end the J-O-B and awaken people to what they love doing. Some people call it a calling, some people call it a career, whatever term you want to use. But don't call I, it, it's not a job. It's not a job. Well, you don't want it to be a job. I don't want any job. It's to be a slavery. If you feel compelled to go in and punch a time clock just to earn the money to feed yourself and survive, that's fine. That's neither right or wrong, but what I'm saying is let's do the work through getting involved in hobbies, volunteer activities, other relationships. Let's spark that interest that you're going to follow it, whether you get attention, whether you get paid money for, you're going to follow it, see where it goes, and quite honestly, that to me is what living is all about. And in your book, you talk about shifting your self-esteem from woe to wow. And how do you do that? Every time you hear a compliment, let it in. Let it in. With no qualifiers. Chef, I think we're wired backwards when it comes to compliments and criticism. You can't get to a wow unless you let the wow in. Let me give you an example. When someone offers you a compliment, Chef, Chef, do you let it in? Or do you like, well, who is it? And was it earned? And is, are they being real? I mean, do you start qualifying it? Or do you just let the compliment in? I guess it depends upon the person. If I accept the person as being genuine, then I'll let it in. If I don't accept the person as being genuine, then I won't let it in. Conversely, if you get a criticism, if somebody gives you, critiques you, gives you a criticism, do you apply those same standards? Or do you like, whoa, wait a minute, where's this criticism coming from? I try to apply the same standard. I don't know if I actually do, but I would hope that I would try to apply the same standard, that the criticism is, if it's for someone who, um, who I trust and I you treasure their uh, opinion, then I'd accept it. Um, if it's someone who I really think is worthless in what they have to say, then I won't accept it. Well, you're ahead of the curve. Most people, what I've witnessed, Regardless of who the person is, it could be a complete stranger. If a complete stranger criticizes people, someone, what I've witnessed is most people are, bam, they're right there on the defense. They're ready to attack back. They let it in, and they're ready to attack back. When it comes to compliments, we have all of these pin codes that have to be satisfied. Do I know them? Am I worthy of the compliment? How long have I known them? Are they genuine? Kind of like the things that you said before. To get from woe to wow, I ask everyone listening, whether the compliment is true or not, if you receive a compliment, let it in. With no qualifications, let it in. When you receive a criticism, start looking at the pin codes that need to be punched in before you'll accept that criticism. Who is that person? How do they think they have the right to give me a, a critique to begin with? Did I ask for the criticism? <laughs> and again, I realize it's really 
offers an opinion on what passed, right? Not in New Jersey. Not in New Jersey or New, or New York. Neither, neither place. Everyone is very meek in that regard. Very reserved. <laughs> in your book, you mention performance-based contracts. You want incentives for outstanding performance, penalties for uh, poor performance. It's obvious, but it, 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 it's not necessarily the case. Why do you stress that, and why is that in your book? Performance-based contracts is key getting anything done in a, what I consider to be a healthy way. If there's a reward there and there's no penalty there, it's not balanced. There has to be a penalty, and what I call a positive penalty. A positive penalty, for example, is if you did not make a certain deadline, you need to go and clean your house. <laughs> you know, there's there's got to be something you don't like doing, whatever it is you don't like doing, once you've done it, added value to your life. Okay. You ask your readers in your book to recount the times that they were taken to the cleaners and they took someone else to the cleaners. How does that help cleanse your life? And why, why that exercise? Talking about chapter six. Yes. You get hit for. And quite honestly, it's integrity. The more integrity we have, the more we receive. And it kind of goes back to that golden rule, you know, do unto others. Now, if somebody screwed you over, and you think that gives you permission to screw them over back or screw somebody else, think again. Now, you kind of wrap up with saying that, uh, you know, happiness ripples across the planet when you're paid what you're worth. What does that mean exactly? When someone does something nice for me, I feel better. And if I feel better, I'm more likely to do something nice for someone else. Conversely, if someone does something that's not quite nice for me, if I'm not being mindful of letting that go and forgiving it so that I don't ripple that negative energy into somebody else, I can start a whole chain of nasty events that's just not helpful. Let me just ask you, you know, shift a little bit. This is the world of work. I often ask people about the nuts and bolts of, of what they do. Tell us a little bit about a workshop that you're going to be uh, putting together. I mean, that you, not that you're putting together, but that you're going to be giving. Um, how, how does it work? What I do is I talk with people about a workshop that I come into where you're at, and on a Friday night, what we do is we'll have dinner, and then over desserts, we're going to do things. By using my mapping and brainstorming exercises that I have, I made a custom tailor a workshop for those who have gathered together. All day Saturday and half day Sunday, the goal of the workshop is to come up with two or three conversations you must have in order to be paid what you're worth. For example, there a very common issue in, in, in these workshops that people come up with on Friday night is self-sabotage, ways that we sabotage ourselves. Example, there are oftentimes when I'm talking with people, people will put themselves down, but, oh, I'm so stupid, or, oh, I'm too old, or, oh, I'm too fat, or, I'm too, insert your favorite blame thing in there. Well, that to me is worth the case. I'm known as the worst doctor. I, I want to stop with the case. So on Saturday, we do these, these exercises that are custom, so that by the time we get done on Saturday, on Sunday, we come in and we do these role plays. 
you're going to have in a safe environment conversation after conversation of these conversations that you need to have with your mom, your boss, your son, whoever it is that's blocking you from feeling worthy, more money, more time, more attention. So this is not necessarily uh, just a pay me what I'm worth, focus on work at, in the workplace, but it can be pay me what I'm worth and help you expand your worth in different arenas as well. Correct. And I pay you. Can I tell you how I wrap up the workshop? Yes, absolutely. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to uh, amplify that it's not necessarily just at your job what you're worth. Correct. Correct. In fact, we're going to enhance that. So, Chef, I'm going to pretend you're the one who rang the bell and you got me out to you local neighborhood to do this workshop. Basically, what I've done is I've worked with you over three or four days. I've coached you through the process. You're the one who sets the price of the workshop. You're the one who sets the location. You're the one who sets the date. Basically, you're the one helping me market it and get it put together. Now we've gone through three days where everyone has had that eye-opening experience of like they're, they will no longer be, they will no longer put up with being used, period. That's kind of one of the common themes. So it's about two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and what I do, and, I, and I, I'm kind of doing a, what do we call that, a spoiler alert? You know, don't read the spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a spoiler alert. I will ask you to step into the center of the room, and then I will ask 25... You, you'll ask the, the person who brings the group together to stand in the, in the center of the room. Correct. So in this example, I'm going to pretend it's you. Okay. All right. And I ask, would you... We're going to count off to 25. I point to one person, and I say, you're number one. Now, let's just number off up to 25. So up to 25 people will say their number. I then ask everyone, I'm a post-it king. I love post-its. We use a lot of post-it notes. And so I'm going to ask everyone to get off your post-it note, and I want them to write down the one word that they're feeling right now. What's the number one feeling they're feeling in this moment based on what they've experienced over the past three days? Put that word on, on the post-it note. While we're doing that, I ask the 25 who counted off to come up and form a circle around you. Bring your post-it note with your word. As they're forming the circle, I'm handing each person a hundred dollar bill. An actual hundred dollar bill. Okay. When everybody's ready, I ask, I, I tell everybody, okay, now, I'm going to invite these 25 people to put their post-it note on a hundred dollar, on their hundred dollar bill, and I want them to come and pay Shep a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, did I mention a fraction? A fraction of what he's really worth. We're going to pay him cash. And as far as I'm concerned, the word on that post-it note is worth 100,000 times more than that piece of paper. So you, Chef, you receive your payment for helping me put the program together at least $2,500. Once they're done and that original 25 is receded, then, then I, I ask you to be showered with even more work, and I ask everybody else to come up and hand you their post-it note, and if you're brave enough, you know, and being, you know, mindful and respectful, if you're brave enough to let people just put the post-it note on you, it depends on how comical you get, you can be respectful, we're going to post-it note you with all of the love, the gratitude, the joy that people are feeling in that moment. By that time, I'm generally crying so much, I need some more Kleenex at that point, because the level of energy in the room is so inspiring. Now, that's what drives me to do this and be a nomadic teacher 
I love doing this. So my post-it note right here says satisfied. Um, and I'm satisfied that you turned out to be a very good guest. Mahalo. Do you accept that? I do, and I'm most grateful. Thank you for that. Pleasure. And that's how the session wraps up the, uh, the workshop. Right. So if anybody wants to do that, you call. Well, Saul Dance, any closing thoughts on a very uh, provocative interview over the last hour? Well, thank you again for having me on, Chip. For those who are here listening to Pledge Week or Pledge Month, WDVR, it's on the phone. Chip, what's the number they call to make their pledge? They call 609-397-1620. Pledge it. And if you get to my site, send me a receipt, and I'll either send you an e-copy of the book, I can get you into our study groups as a way of saying thank you. Well, thank you very much for being with us this afternoon, Soul Dancer, author of Pay Me What I'm Worth. It was very interesting. My pleasure, and thanks again. My pleasure. Until next week, this is The World of Work. I'm your host, Shep Cohen. All right, that wraps it up. Thanks for listening. This is Pay Radio, talk radio worth listening to. You can listen to all sorts of on-demand shows at bit.ly forward slash pay radio. Again, bit.ly forward slash pay radio has hundreds of on-demand shows for you to enjoy, learn, laugh, and grow with ease and grace. Aloha. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.